This is the Blattcast, a sometimes fast-paced but usually meandering look at the world, hosted by Christian Blatt. So kick back, get ready for quite possibly the longest one hour to perhaps the shortest two hours and 56 minutes of your life. And now, here's Christian Blatt. Joining me now is musician David Ellefson from Megadeth and, of course, Ellefson. He has a new book, The Sledge Chronicles, Rockstar Hitman. Welcome back to the show, David. It's nice to get the chance to talk to you again. Yeah, thank you. Good to see you again. So uh, let's just start talking about the book, uh, the Rockstar Hitman, but it, Hitman, I don't know why I'm saying it Hitman, but uh, Rockstar Hitman, uh, which I guess if there's one takeaway from that book is you should really read your contract before you sign it. Yeah, exactly. That, that is kind of the main takeaway. And, uh, you know, not just your Rockstar contract, maybe your employment agreement too, you know, yeah. but uh yeah, it, it's uh, there's a lot of sort of sub narratives uh, through this, um, <laughs> sure. and and I guess to start, you know, look, we we anchored it with our character Sledge, you know, which a which is a, a his kind of stage name, um, and you know, we wrote it from his perspective. So actually, it's it's a fictional autobiography, um, which is uh, I didn't really think of it that as that until after we wrote it, and, and yeah. actually some some comments came up like, oh, it's like an autobiography. I'm like, you know, I guess it is because we thought about that. Do we write it from, you know, sort of an author's point of view, and then you sort of fill in the quotes of the characters? And I think on this one, me and Drew felt it was easier to be inside of Sledge's psyche the whole right. time. And and you're right then. So these, as these revelations happen, like, oh my God, what did I just do? <laughs> I yeah. think it was easier to tell it from from uh, kind of a, a single POV, if you will. Yeah, and as the title implies, it's not just that he signed his publishing rights or his master's away. It's that he actually, in addition to being a rock star, well, he has to uh, take care of some some business as a hitman. Yes. And uh, I think uh, it's it's a funny idea, uh, you know, I mean, because it's not, <laughs> it's because it's not real. You yeah, know, course, it's course. a funny idea. Let's hope not. It maybe yeah. it is. I don't know. Let's hope uh, not. Not no, that's for me. True. It isn't. Yeah. Yeah. It, of of not uh you know the idea that like well we'll root the tour around uh, where we have some problems that we need to get things taken yeah. care yeah yeah the killing yeah. comes first and then you know then the uh, yeah. then, then the show is gonna be booked after the <laughs> after the mercenary acts take place yeah uh and I, I wanted to take a minute and uh you mentioned him but uh, take a minute to talk about your co-author and mm -hmm. uh, in a little bit we'll also talk about how uh, you guys also have a movie called uh dwellers uh, uh -huh. that, uh, that we'll talk about before we're done but uh, yeah. talk about how you know drew and how you guys got together and, and how this idea came about well i knew him he um he assisted a little bit over at emp label group a couple years ago he was just kind of helping out with some back-end stuff and he was working with um the singer from kick tracy they were working on a on a record together and um i, I love drew he's a he's a good dude he's a he's a he's a nice guy he's a midwest guy um he did a um uh a documentary on bang tango and then played in the group for a minute and then he, he ended up writing his own memoir um i think it's called dark dark depressing and hilarious yes dark and, depressing uh, and hilarious yeah and so i was like okay this yeah. this guy's got a sense of humor he's he's got a twisted bent he's a good kid from the midwest he's certainly gotten beat up a little bit like we all do <laughs> Sure. Uh, in life and certainly in, in show business. And yet he's come out the other side with a somewhat whimsical uh, view of it all. And, and then he, then he presented the dwellers film. Um, and I was like, God, okay, man, there's, there's a lot going on 
you know, up there in that little noggin of yours. And, and so, you know, we've, we've been friends. And, and so I hit him when I, when this idea for Rockstar Hitman came up, um, it's funny, the book was the last thing we've done. And the film was actually before that. So oh, okay. it, it's kind of funny how they're coming out opposite of that. The book <laughs> right. came out first and then, then the Dwellers film. Um, but, um, so I, I called him, I said, man, I got this idea and he loved the rockstar hitman idea. And I said, listen, I, I think it'd be great if to collaborate with you, I think you would add some of the mercenary acts that, you know, you've just got a good mind for that. And so as we started collaborating, he sent me over what I think is probably the, uh, I guess it's the kind of the prologue, I think is what he sent over to me. Um, I was in South America. I was on a base story solo tour. And I, I sent him kind of my first, my first sketch, kind of lining out the characters a little bit, and then he wrote back what I think is the the uh, the prologue, um, and and I was like, holy cow, dude, <laughs> this is perfect. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm on a train in Kansas City with a head in my duffel bag, and I was like, man, it's and so I what I've loved about it is, it's kind of like writing a song or anything else. Is you know we had a a very um, uh, collaborative voice if you will you know that you can't really tell where i stop writing and he starts um and that was important obviously you know if you're going to collaborate on something um especially in a narrative like this that our writing styles had to work together uh, just the same as when you write a song you know sure. um can't be my riff and then your chorus you know what i mean and if they are they have to sound like they're part of the same song right so, you don't want it to be like oh you know uh, paul mccartney wrote this verse john lennon definitely wrote exactly, that verse exactly so. right and and that's that's so that's important you know and of course we learned that from music drew and i being musicians so as we move now into film and and these uh, books and things um you know, it's cool to, to know that, um, you know, that, that the, the narrative of our, you know, kind of our, we have a common voice, if you will. And I think, I think we found that in, in Rockstar Hitman right out of the gate. Right. And this idea that uh, I like the way you described it, that it's a, that it's a fictional autobiography. I, I'm mm -hmm. going to assume there are elements in there uh, that uh, come from probably both of your lives, you know, just sort of sure. how Sledge is describing, you know, like hearing Led Zeppelin too is such a specific thing. I'm like, well, that has, yeah. that's probably true for one of you guys that that was the first thing you heard and, you know, getting Kiss Destroyer. So these are very specific things early in the book. So yeah. I'm wondering, you know, was there a lot of, you know, like, well, this is, this is the stuff that happened for me or happened for Drew. Like, are there specific things that uh, come to mind as, uh, yeah, it's funny you mentioned character more real. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned those two, because I mean, again, it's a rock and roll book. It's, it's yeah. fictional, but again, you know, we had, we, there's a couple things like one of the clubs that he goes to, we changed the name. Um, but it, if you were there, you know, exactly which club we're talking about, you know? And, and, and of course sure. if in your town, you probably have one of those, whether it's, Kansas City, New York, Atlanta, LA, you know, we all have this kind of favorite, uh, you know, club where all the, you know, sex, drugs and rock and roll and the decadence <laughs> went down, you right. know, and we didn't want to date it like, oh, it's 1984. And da, 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 yeah. da. even though, of course, that was my experience when I got to LA. And, um, you know, Drew got there many years later, um, I guess, probably in the late 90s, maybe early 2000s, something like that. So, um, it had to be somewhat universal. So we picked, um, you know, we don't say, Oh, Motley Crue shot at the devil just came out. Yeah. Cause of course that would have dated him. So Led Zeppelin is kind of this, you know, it, it this, you know, it, it, it's pretty timeless, you know, and it covers what 50 years, you know, so this yeah. book could have happened anytime in the last 50 years of rock and roll. Um, and of course, kiss destroyers, you know, kiss kind of the same thing. I mean, look, they've yeah. 
but they're celebrating 50 years or something too, right? I mean, so, um, you know, we, we chose those things. And, and funny, those were deliberate decisions to not focus it too much like, you know, oh, the new Greta Van Fleet album came out. It's like that right. would date it to pretty much the last five years, you know? So we, we wanted it to be broad enough yet, um, you know, as as uh, some, you know, I did use some street names, you know, Orange Avenue, uh, which is right by kind of where I landed in Hollywood. I landed on Sycamore. Right. Orange, you know, is a street. Yeah, right well, it was Hollywood it was High like very specifically like Hollywood High School. So it's like across yes. from where there's an In-N-Out Burger now. And, I, yeah, you know, I was exactly. like, I was reading that. I'm like, oh, I know exactly. I know, you know right where it is. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and the Hollywood Ho Roosevelt Hotel. It's funny. I stayed there uh, this summer, last summer. And I walked out there and I was like, yep, there it is. In my mind, I was <laughs> yeah. going, okay, I've got the streets right. The Okay, good, I'm good. Yeah. Because, you know, look, I think even when you're writing fiction, um, you know, you have to set the situation up um, that, uh, um, you know, that, that it's, and it's, it's funny. I use the name Delane, Iowa. There's, I don't even know if there's a town. I just use that band name. I love the band Delane from Europe. So I use that <laughs> oh, as, a, as a, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so I, I kind of, I, 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 you know, grabbed from some, you know, some different things. Um, um, you know, McCready, I was kind of thinking of McCready from Pearl Jam. I thought that's, yeah, that, cool I was name. wondering, yeah. Cause his, his yeah. real name is Toby McCready. And I, yeah. I actually yeah. think of Mike McCready. Yeah, uh, exactly. I yeah. So I, you know, I kind of was, I was, I just sort of drew and these are very random things and yeah. I'm, I'm divulging. This is a really behind the scenes <laughs> moment right sure. here. Kind of where I grabbed these things. And there, you know, there was a, a drugstore, um, on, the main street in in Jackson, Minnesota, where I grew up, and it's it's not McCready Drug, but it was a different name. But I, I kind of drew, you know, you draw from your own experiences. You know, I think when you're creating fiction, um, you know, you you take, you know, especially if you're basing something in a city, you know, you want to anchor it around things that people find familiar because you want to draw the 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 reader into obviously some familiarity. If you talk about New York and you didn't mention the Empire State Building or something or Wall Street, you'd be like, what the hell? Like this isn't even New York, you know, you have to color the landscape, you know, and then as you write the fiction story in, um, you know, then, then, you know, that, that becomes your own. That's the part that you create on your own. Yeah. And if you're putting it in a real place, like obviously when it's a, a real part of the story, like, you know, obviously Blade Runner was a novel before it was a movie. We have to put a lot of detail into creating yeah. that world. And I think for your story, you're like, well, yeah, he's obviously he's going to end up in L.A. And you don't need to create some fictional version of L.A. where there's right. you know, flying cars and robot butlers and stuff. You know, the, just, well said. Exactly. I mean, everybody knows Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. You know, there, there's just some things that you're going to naturally want to use because they bring familiarity to the, you know, to the, um, you know, to the reader so that they feel like they're there. Like, oh, I have been there. Yeah, that's right. Okay, I don't know. I know right where that's at. You know, like you said, yeah, you yeah. know, the In-N-Out Burger on Orange. It's like, now I'm there. I'm there in my mind. I'm I'm in that location. And now I can envision what's actually going down uh, in the book. Yeah, and a lot of times uh, with movies, you know, when they film in a city and they try to pretend it's somewhere else, mm -hmm. uh, if, you, if you've even been to that city, you know, you're like, well, no, Vancouver doesn't look enough like New York for you to right. leave those mountains in the background. You know, that's yeah. probably, you probably should have filmed it the other way. But yeah, in a book, I think that goes a long way. You know, one of the things I was reading early in the book, it seemed very much like it just must have been an experience one or both of you guys had. 
you know, uh, Sledge is auditioning to replace a guy who he knows as the singer in the band, unbeknownst mm -hmm. to him. And it seems yeah. like, obviously, you know, bands replace members all the time. This band was just starting out, but yeah. it seemed like it had some of that that tension. I, I feel like there has to be, you know, obviously bands replace members for plenty of good reasons, you know, all the yeah. time. Yeah. But, uh, you know, sometimes you just have to and you have to do it like that. So I'm wondering, was uh, there something specific that kind of was in your mind or maybe in Drew's mind while you guys were working on that section? No, I don't think it's specific, but you're right. They're this, this uncomfortable. I've come in and, and, and I've come in and, and taken gigs from people. I mean, not, I didn't take it. I was invited, I was invited in, Hey, we sure. need you to be the bass player <laughs> either on this record or, you know, in this, for this group. Um, yeah. So I've, I've done those things where I'm, I've been the replacement guy. Um, and I've fortunately, I don't think I've been replaced. Um, but you know, when I wasn't part of things, I mean, other guys have been brought in, you know, to, uh, you know, to play behind me, but, um, it, it is, it's uncomfortable. Uh, we've all been in bands where it's like, Oh God, we gotta, we gotta freaking ditch the singer, man. Or we gotta, <laughs> the guitar players on drugs, he doesn't show up and we gotta ditch the guy. And sometimes it works often. It doesn't, you know? So there, there was, there was this kind of uncomfortable. And I think the, what we tried to paint here is that this was locked and loaded, ready to go. And of course, as you read it, it's almost too good to be true. And of course it is. Of course, <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then he, you know, he's even, even as he's going, wow, it's like, I can't believe this is like, this is like the million dollar ticket to ride. Yeah. It's like, I just can't even believe, you know, and even he's aware, like, like I'm good, but I don't know if I'm this good. Like yeah. this is all just happening too <laughs> soon and too, you know, like if it's too good to be true. And and I think, look, we drew a little bit, I think on, um, you know, kind of maybe this American idol. I mean, it seems like, you know, the voice it's, it's like it almost in order to make it in showbiz, you've got to be on some game show these days, you know, yeah. and we didn't quite go there with it because we wanted it to be a real rock and roll story. And I don't think those are, um, in fact, most of the people that are on those shows are usually never heard from again, you know, except well, the four people in the chairs who are the yeah. celebrities making all the money. Of course, it's a great, it's, it's look, it's the modern day Hollywood squares, you know what yeah. I mean? It's, it's, and, it's and the most like rocking winners they've had on American Idol are the ones that you hear about the least, you know, and because yeah. I mean, it, but that mechanism yeah. in place, I mean, if you th just think of the first one, I mean, Kelly Clarkson wins and they're like, great, here's your song, you know, now yeah. you're going to go and, you know, it's everything's in place. Uh, and uh, exactly. you know, fortunately for her, at least as far as we know, she didn't have to kill anybody uh, on her first tour. Yeah, well, as far as we know, you know, it's funny, yeah. Chris Daughtry, who, you know, I'm friends with and I've sure. got to see him perform and he tells the whole story. I mean, he very openly talks about the, you know, the, uh, you know, he's thankful for the experience, but he talks about, you know, and, and it's funny for Chris losing was probably, or I shouldn't say losing, but not winning was probably the yeah. best thing that ever happened to him, you know? Um, yeah. so the, you know, the irony of that, but it's, um, yeah, we did want to create this tension of like, you know, and, and in some way, you know, we've, we've heard these stories. It's like, if you do win, it's like, Hey man, you're, you're, you know, beholden in your golden handcuffs now to the entity to whom brought you to the dance. You know, we had a tour manager years ago uh, with Megadeth in the early 90s. He always said that he goes, he goes, guys, you go home with the girl you brought to the dance, you know, and uh, <laughs> right. and that didn't just apply, obviously, to, a, you know, a date. It replied, sure. you know, to a lot of things. It's like, you know, your loyalties matter, you know what I mean? And it's kind of like, hey, you know, hey, kid, I brought you to Hollywood. <laughs> uh, you work for me now, you know, yeah. so kind of that fat cat, you know, like like Wayne's World, you know, Mr. Big, yeah, <laughs> you know, that exactly. same thing, right? 
as I was uh, as I was reading and you know thinking about it, I was trying. You know, my mind wandered for a moment. I was thinking about you know some of the the most successful replacement singers that we've had. You know, some that mm-hmm. met with medium success. And I was thinking that like, oh yeah, Sammy Hagar because Van Halen had the second life with him. But then I remembered that uh, Steve Perry wasn't the original singer of Journey. Right. And I'm like, all right. So I think that that was probably one where everybody was like, yeah, I think we made the right choice. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and 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 again, look, you can count them on one hand, the ones that have worked. You know, yeah, that's I mean? why I mentioned it. Those are the yeah. two that I thought of. You know, well, and maybe look, obviously, Brian Johnson came into. Yeah, ACDC. that's a great. So yeah, three. I mean, really, there's there's three. But the, yeah, and then know. that one, of course, unavoidable. You know, yeah. Von Scott was gone, so they had to have somebody new. Yeah, yeah. So I think yeah. I think you're right. I did not think of Brian was uh, well. Yeah, it was, a, it was an error on my part because uh, you know the band, of course, so much bigger. Uh, under- well, and it's funny, you know, like you go to Pearl Jam, who came out of um, Mother Love Bone, you yeah. know, again, through uh, Andrew Wood there, who sadly passed, you know, and then they yeah. regrouped and they they did get a second chance. And that, I mean, what are the chances of that? That doesn't usually happen very often. But but no, you're, you're right. It's, it's the replacement thing. And of course, you know, as you read the book, you know, the, hit, the, the need for the replacement was more than just being the singer. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. We, we need a guy who's going to comply with our ways, <laughs> you know? So uh, it, it, it's, you know, yeah, you won the lucky, the lucky lottery ticket, but uh, yeah, there's a little you, more to the story. Gonna, you're going to yeah. have to earn it. So, mm-hmm. uh, and, and in reading the notes for the book, I, I understand that this is the first book uh, in a series. So right. uh, talk a little bit about the plans for, uh, for what's next without, you know, giving away story sure. points and stuff, but uh, what, where does, where does it go from here? Well, the second book is, is mostly written actually. Um, and, you know, part of the idea that we thought of is look, okay. So he's, as you as you read the book and the escapades continue from city to city, you know, my mind, you know, international man of mystery here. It's like, why does it have to only be the USA, you know, and as his right. band gets popularity in Europe or South America, Asia, you know, the the need for uh, eliminating bad guys is almost endless. <laughs> you know, so, you know, the, you know, Jason Bourne, you know, level of of conspiracy and crap that goes on in Europe and of course South America is a whole other yeah. uh, potential you know cast of characters we can write in so you know it, it I think we well, we like the idea that that the story could continue you know and yeah. um, and then sort of interpersonal band dramas and you know there's all the different stuff in fact one of the fun things that was fun to develop I remember where I was I was sitting in the front lounge of our bus in Germany, a year ago, we were on tour with Five Finger Death Punch, and I remember writing the uh, sort of the developing love interest in the story um, because I, I I thought, okay, there's we've, we've kind of developed this good enough. What's the next twist? You know, which is okay. Uh, I'm already living a double life with my band because I'm a band member, and they don't know that during the day I have yeah. to go out and do this dirty work. Let's add another level, which is the uh, love interest with with his uh, with his new you know girlfriend. How do you have a girlfriend? <laughs> and and yeah. you know, as, especially if they're listening and watching everything I do, um, how do I make this work? You know, so that really created a whole other tension. And Drew's great at at turning these left corners. So as I would sort of d- develop the story, Drew would come in and just drop a hard left on the story and, and I'd, I'd send it over to him and he'd, he'd hit me back and I'd go, Whoa, I never saw that coming, you know? So it was fun for me to <laughs> yeah. read Drew's version of my story 
if you will, um, and and um, you know, and, and just take it to these these harrowing <laughs> places, yeah. um, you know. So it's yeah, it's and and again, so there's that was. I mean, I think we're just getting started. We we love the excitement of it, and and well, uh, yeah, and uh, again, not looking to uh, divulge story points, but as I was reading it, uh, there's obviously the idea that this agency that Sledge finds himself working for. Uh, they're telling everybody that they're doing good work, but then you, of course, uh, doubt that. That's basically uh, that's the premise for the uh, the TV show uh, Alias with Jennifer Garner when it premiered like 20 years ago now. Right. But right. it was like she thought she was working for the government, and at some point, it's like, no, actually, you're one of the bad guys. And well, and we clearly are, state that yeah. as, and again, writing it yeah. from Sledge's point of view, this mental mind. Yeah mess that he's in um to go is this a good thing is this bad thing yeah these are bad people so by doing a bad thing of killing someone is that a good thing because they right. were a bad guy you know what i mean so <laughs> yeah exactly and i guess look if you're put into the military you know you could be a similar thing you know it's like yeah. you're trained to go defend but on you know in the need to defend you have to you know do some things that a civilian wouldn't <laughs> you know or if a civilian did we'd be thrown in prison you know so it, right. it they're so it, it's it he and he goes to this because he's like he's just a kid from the Midwest wants to be a yeah. rock star he's a musician, and all of a sudden he's thrown into all of these he's really really thrown into the deep end and trying to process and there is no way out I mean he's the you know and and again as we develop this of course that is all part of this is you know I, I think you you know always looking for where's the escape hatch out of this nightmare that I'm yeah. in. Yet, you know, nightmare <laughs> during the day, living the dream at night, you know, yeah, 10,000 people a, screaming my name. It's, you know? a, it's definitely a, a good trade-off. Uh, I, I want to talk to you about the movie in a second, but uh, yeah. one last thing about Sledge. I, I do like where his nickname comes from, which is the, you know, well, I want to I wanna become a musician, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, take a part-time job at the Slaughterhouse. Yes. Where he yeah. literally has to sledgehammer <laughs> cows. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it's just, it's such a very specific thing. And it's a, it, you know, again, because it's fiction, it's a funny nickname because of, yeah. of how we got it. Um, I just want to know where that comes from. Is it just you guys throwing around names or? Uh, well, the, you know, it's funny, this little, so I grew up in Jackson, Minnesota farm, sure. you know, and, and just maybe four or five miles up the road, there was in this little town called Bergen, um, which literally was a stop sign, a grocery store and a tavern and the gas station. <laughs> and then on the other, and then on the other fourth corner was a slaughterhouse, right? So a lot oh, of wow, our neighbors okay. would take, uh, cattle there, they'd call our family, say, Hey, we're, you know, you want to buy a side of beef, you know, we're slaughtering a, a cow, you know, and, and, sure. um, so that's how we'd pack our freezer, you know, with full of, uh, you know, from, from that. So that was where the idea came from that. <laughs> it was that it was literally drawn from like, what, what kind of a job would you take when you live out in the cornfield? And I know, cause I worked for my dad's, yeah. you know, for our farm. <laughs> so I never had to take a job like, you know, going to work at, you know, the John dealer implement dealer or something like that, or sell cars. I never had to do those jobs. Cause I just worked on the farm, you know, but in this case we thought because, um sledge was lived grew up like in the town um it, it, and i know friends my my friend greg hand of it when we grew up i lived in the farm he lived in town and and the drummer in my band he had to get a job as the dishwasher at the best western hotel that was just built in town so it was always this thing of like i'm yeah. a musician but i do i have to i got to get a job so i can buy a guitar buy me buy equipment and then by now having this job now i can't rehearse i can't get to you know yeah so the day job thing was was we wanted to create that conflict 
of, uh, you know, and I think most musicians who probably are going to see this know that it's like, Oh God, I can't, I can't wait to get out of this gigs out of this job so I can go play music. Um, so, you know, I think Drew, Drew and I drew out very much on personal experiences either we had, or maybe band members and, you know, the people close into our world had to struggle with those things. Yeah, well, I think it uh, it comes across, and uh, I think that uh, you know Sledge is called upon to do some terrible things, but not in a way where it makes you like, oh, I don't like this guy anymore. Yeah. You know, he 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 has to come to terms with it, and uh, I think you guys do a great job in the book. Yeah. And uh, again, it is uh, Rockstar Hitman is the book, and uh, yeah, you can get it. Amazon, you can get it to everywhere, obviously. Mm, uh, yeah. So uh, that's uh, what I think uh, people uh, should definitely take a look for. Now, later in the year, there'll be this movie Dwellers, which uh, mm. I was just given some notes as to some of the places where people will be able to see it. Uh, there's a New York Flash Film Festival, Horrors for You, the number four, and uh, Frostbite International Indie Fest, Standalone Film Festival and Awards, uh, the Liftoff Sessions and Chicago Indie Film Awards. And a couple of uh, live things that I see coming up in September in Minneapolis at uh, Crypticon and Fort Wayne, Indiana in October at Dead Convention. But you guys, according to the notes I have, you actually did something. Was it just last weekend? Did you you took the yeah. movie somewhere? Mad Monster Horicon uh, invited us down to um, you know do an appearance. They premiered the film, uh, mm-hmm. and lo and behold, us they they gave us they bestowed us the best film. Uh, award uh, for wow. the convention, yeah, which is amazing. So, um, and what's cool about it, you know, with Ellison Films as a as a you know as an imprint, I have a distribution. I've, I've it, it's funny coming out of that, I realize we have everything in place now to uh, uh, to put films out, not only our own but for other people. Uh, it's kind of like when we started EMP Label Group and relaunched Combat Records as a label. Is a lot of people, you know, they they've got creative product and they just don't know how to get it out right. you know and and again get into all the sort of digital aggregators out there um so that was the whole point of having the label and now with ellison films as a as a film distribution or as a as a production house uh to have the distribution uh channels digital and physical and stuff to have that is is cool so actually some people are coming up and going hey you got a film company i got a little documentary i might <laughs> want to run past you so nice you know, it is cool. It, you know, it's, it's, I mean, look, I, I don't think it's enough to just do music these days. You know, I think in this, in this day and age, it's nice when you can create the visual with a film, you can create a narrative with a book, you can put a music soundtrack to it. You know what I mean? You can kind yeah. of do all of it. Um, and I, I think it's, you know, we're having a lot of fun, but kind of having this whole all in sort of little cottage industry here. Yeah, and I think it's uh, all about, uh, you know, just trying to figure out what it is that uh, people want to consume things in different ways, you know, uh, obviously, you know, doing podcasts like this, uh, for years, it was just audio, but then you're like, well, people just want to watch two people talk and some for some reason, they prefer it, like just seeing yeah. it, it helps yeah. them connect to it more. And you're like, well, if you want it that way, here, here it is that way, too. So just having so much of it out there, uh, I think is a, is a smart way to go. So uh, what should we know about the movie uh, in general? It's uh, is it going to be you know released uh, you know it theatrically will. or yeah. uh, iTunes or how are people going to be able to see it? Yeah, the first thing with the film is we wanted to uh, just do the convention we did with Mad Monster, do the premiere, um, and then that you know it's funny when you kind of just get this stuff out into the world, it just takes a life of its own. You know, we got this award from screenwriter uh, screenwriting festival from Mad Monster. Um, you know, these different festivals are accepting us in now to these film festivals, which is great for the viewing. 
Uh, so we're aiming, you know, horror always works good around Halloween. <laughs> so that's, that's going to be, yeah. um, yeah. He's like, when you make a Christmas album, aim it toward Christmas. You make a horror film, aim it <laughs> yeah. toward Halloween, you know? So, um, and that's if you're a, silent that, night, deadly night, you get to come out at, at Halloween and stay through new year's stay. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So this, uh, you know, we're looking toward an end of the year release, um, end of third quarter, early fourth quarter, uh, release with this. So, um, which is great. Now we've got those wheels in motion um and uh yeah so it's it's nice you know with the with the book and with uh you know now now with the film and you know so we got you know the label the book company the film company we got all these things going here which is really great to you know be able to push our our creative creative things that we create to actually get them out into the world now yeah and obviously you know everybody hopes that uh you know they'll be able to see you know, movies everywhere uh by mm -hmm. the fall i mean you know when you live in places like new york and los angeles you kind of forget that movie theaters have been open in some capacity around a lot of the right. country and you know it's, i thought it was interesting you know you said you were in north carolina so you're, there was actually a convention that was held so yeah you know you start to see little things that are happening you know things that aren't uh you know that aren't automatically kicked to next year you know that's kind of an encouraging sign yeah. uh so yeah. uh you know and it's you you'll occasionally you'll hear bands talk about like yeah you know we've got some like acoustic shows throughout mostly through like florida and texas is what you hear a lot yeah, you know those right. are the places that and uh, we seems... did some of those with the Olufsen solo band we actually went down to texas and uh and texas and louisiana um, back yeah. in october and, and early november and we went did go through the midwest um and you know you're taking your chances obviously would before things are really ready to open up so i i probably wouldn't want to do that again um it was fun to do it because we had a, we had that elephant no cover record that came out but uh um yeah i mean again kind of the same thing mad monster they did a great job uh of how to socially distance and traffic patterns and everybody was yeah. masked up and everything so it it, it works and, and you know I, I think it's kind of a cool thing um is that you know with the again the big studios and those big releases they really they quickly a lot of them that could they pivoted really quickly over to amazon apple tv yeah. over to netflix um i think with these little independent things like this that were you know this kind of found footage genre uh which dwellers is you know to have the you know our little you know ellison films imprint here we're able to you know move kind of unaffected unaffectedly through things like this pandemic you know that's it's like you doing the zoom podcast you can kind of just keep going you know yeah, exactly. you don't you don't have to be on network tv and the studio audience and you know those things as great as they are you know they they the bigger this stuff is even megadeth you know the bigger it is we got hit harder the hardest and first and for the longest you know so some of these smaller little independent things that have developed during the pandemic like this um you know we're able to kind of keep motoring through um which yeah, is, I mean, I think I it makes cool, sense. You know, know you, you get your small movie out. Uh, you know, it's not like the like you're talking about the major studio movie where it's like, yeah, we've already put so much money into this, we can't wait another year to get something back. So, uh, I well, think, look at uh, this James Bond film has been pushed back for a. a it's like six it's a year, a year and a half now oh, from when it was supposed to come out. I know. And look, it's James Bond, so we're all going to go see it yeah. no matter what. But it's, it's such a big And it's also brand. that it's like, well, it's James Bond. Like, they don't want you to watch it on a screen this size. You know yeah. what I mean? They're like, no, you're yeah. going to have to, if you're going to really enjoy it, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. so they, that's why they keep doing that. But, yeah. uh, well, it's, yeah. yeah, it's always it's always encouraging to hear, you know, that there are, you know, we can start making some kind of plans again. And then obviously you never know what happens, but it's like, yeah, you yeah. know, we should be able to do it. And uh, yeah. glad to hear you guys got to, the last time I talked to you, I talked to you and Tom uh, about mm -hmm. the No Cover record and uh, right. glad you guys were able to 
get out there with it. Uh, did uh, was the I assume the reaction must have been great to it because of what you know. I heard the tracks on it. I thought that the the yeah. selections and the way you guys did them, the songs were great. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, no, it's great. And I mean, you know, it's fun because you know, Ellison is a new band essentially, um, and you, by doing this cover record, just inadvertently, we we sort of created a set list now. Um, you know, cut, you know, even when you're rolling out a new band to play a cover or two, it helps fill some time. It brings yeah. familiarity to a new audience. Uh, you know, we all joke about, hey, here's one off the new album. And then everyone goes and <laughs> pee break, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, go outside and smoke a cigarette, you know. So uh, it's I think, you know, it's fun with our group. We've got, you know, some some new songs that we've rolled out. Um but by having, you know, now, uh, you know, 18 <laughs> cover songs we can draw from that are, you know, out there as a as a record, um, there's some familiarity to it. And I think there's some fun about it. Uh, it it's a it's a cool story. Um, and, you know, the history of it, you know, people always ask, oh, so what, did you, what was your influences? And da, da, da. it's like, well, here it is. <laughs> you know, the, there's 18 influences right there. Yeah. Listen to the album. There it is. Yeah. You know, so uh <laughs> Um, you know, so yeah, it, it, it's, it's fun to have these different things out there, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, to, you know, again, to kind of quickly pivot and be able to go out and do these different things, um, you know, is, has been, it's been quite honestly, it's been a blessing this last year. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, before I let you go, the last thing I always like to make sure I give you a chance to talk about is uh, the Elfson Youth Music Foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so take a minute to talk about uh, the work you do there and how people can find out more. Sure. So uh, Ellison Youth Music Foundation dot org is uh, our site. Uh, we're always fundraising. So there is a little donation button on there, which always goes to help. Uh, we started the Schools Out initiative last year doing um, free music lessons for students around the world. And um, so we, you know, we tap some, you know, educated uh, instructors as well as some famous friends of ours to uh, jump in and and uh, and help do that. And Cisco gave us a nice, a wonderful grant of um, of their Cisco WebEx platform, but also their their uh, monitors and all of their stuff that they have to help us be able to do those. Uh, like you say, you don't have to do it on your iPhone. <laughs> you know, you yeah. can actually have a big screen. And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they've they've really been wonderful for that. So big shout out to Cisco helping with that. The Grammy Music Education uh, Coalition last year. Um, they had just formed that. So, you know, I, I was thinking, you know, about all those, you know, dozen Grammy nominations Megadeth got over the years, as much as it obviously would have been great to walk home with Grammys, you know, the fact that we finally, you know, came home with one in yeah. 2017, you know, it kind of was what at the right probably stage of maturity and, and maybe in just the world, you know, to then they, they had just formed the coalition and, um, they were just so supportive, you know, the, to, to help us with this. And, and, um, and we were able to help direct them over to some other friends of ours that have foundations and bring them in. So, you know, this whole thing is always about saying yes and letting the tentacles of goodwill just keep going out to as many people as possible. And I think when you have the foundation like we do, um, we, we can do that. And that's the intention of that is to constantly keep, keep putting that up. Mad Monster, they have a foundation. So we're going to probably collaborate and do some stuff uh, together. Um, so it's, it's nice as, you know, foundation meets foundation, you know, yeah. and then it, you know, one plus one becomes three and four, it becomes bigger yeah. than both of them, you know? 
Well, yeah, well, that's great to hear. And again, it's elfsandyouthmusicfoundation.org. The book we were talking about at the beginning of the conversation, Hitman and uh, Dwellers, uh, coming your way uh, later in the year. Yeah. Uh, David Elson, always great to uh, get a chance to chat with you. I really appreciate it. Thanks again, and uh, looking forward to talking to you again soon. Good to see you again. Thanks. All right. See ya. Bye-bye. In the now is Larry Studnicki of the High Plains Drifters. They've got a new song called Since You've Been Gone, which our audio listeners will hear on the way out of this segment. Uh, For our video listeners, you can find it, I'm sure, on YouTube. Just Google it. I'm sure High Plains Drifters have their own YouTube page. We'll ask Larry. Welcome to the show, Larry. Welcome back to the show, I should say. Thank you very much for having us, Christian. Grateful to be here. Absolutely. Now, listening to the song, I was struck how it had a very 80s feel to it, and that is not a complaint. I think that that was uh, really kind of fun. It seems like it would be a conscious decision. Talk about what inspired, you know, telling this story via music, obviously, but uh, in that style. Uh, The story story itself came about in the 80s. That's when uh, the girl in question uh, dumped me and triggered this song. Uh, the band and I were all kind of musical children of the 80s, uh, all from around New York, spent uh, many late nights in the clubs there. And as we sat down to map out this song as a single, we did make a conscious decision to try and bring to bear, uh, to try and marry telling a story kind of in some of the tradition of some of the storytelling songwriters of the 70s, which also heavily influenced me, but trying to bring to bear a lot of the musical influences that uh, got us excited about music in the 80s. Still my favorite decade of popular music. Sure. I mean, I think that uh, there's, um, I don't know, there's a lot more fun, I think, in the 80s than uh, you'd find in other uh, decades. Not exclusively. I I always refer to it as pre-AIDS, pre-social media Manhattan. So there was, it had a lot of natural advantages going for it. Yeah, no, that's true. And uh, I, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, it's interesting because we are sort of talking about the style and the song. It, it, the song itself doesn't sound like it, but, uh, you know, thinking about other songs with similar, you know, turn of phrase, other uh, similar titles, I was thinking of the car song, uh, Since You've Gone. And, uh, you know, this doesn't sound like that, but it does kind no, of- No, it have, doesn't. But, but, the, but the car's- yeah to me are like the what you know the cars and the talking heads are like two of the two most 80s bands i can think of where you know look there are plenty uh there were plenty of one hit wonders flash in the pans you know you had bands that were constructed mostly just to be in the videos for mtv but i find that the the music and the songwriting for those two bands is of a high quality but it was expressed at a time where the music just sounds so unique and talking heads 
heads, I think goes a little, a little beyond the poppiness of the cars, but uh, were there songs about, you know, obviously you're talking about, this is a real experience. Were there songs about any of those songs that maybe made you think perhaps of, uh, you know, it was a little bit of an inspiration for you for this song. Nothing specifically comes to mind. I, I, I'm a huge fan of the cars. I didn't think about since you've gone, although I listen to it pretty regularly. Um, sure. Didn't really think about any of the talking head songs specifically either. Um, uh, it, I mean, the, the song had been just rattling around in my head for a long time. Um, came out of a, a breakup and uh, I, I can't say that it was specifically influenced stylistically by any of what was going around then. I mean, other than in the in the broadest, you know, fifty thousand foot sense. Right, in the way that you you soaked up all the music you heard at that time and uh, you know appreciated yeah. it and and sort of if you steer into that. Uh, I wanted you to talk a little bit about, uh, obviously, it's very easy to do t with technology. And this is probably not the first song that you've done this way, but in reading about it in the notes that I got is that uh, you are, of course, providing the lead vocal, but you're also your own background singer. Uh, talk about how maybe no, you I'm not. I'm not. Oh. On some songs, on okay. this one, I am not a back, I'm okay. not a backup singer on this. All right, so we'll um, talk about it more in the general sense. Do you, when you're yeah. putting down a backing vocal track, uh, you know, obviously, if you're if you're hired as a session background singer, you're probably your number one job is to don't overshadow the lead singer. So, how do you do that when you are the lead singer and you're also creating your own background vocals? How differently do you approach that? Um. I did it on the song that preceded this, uh, which I hope you played. Uh, the one that got a lot of attention this past Christmas called Santa Bring My Girlfriend Back. I sang backup vocals and lead there, but I sang backup along with the guys in the band. And I just try to, like you said, sing a little softer, uh, sing in a slightly different key and not be as as loud as I would on the lead vocal. Um, no real magic to it. I mean, I kind yeah. of prefer that guys in the band take the back, the backup vocals. Uh, I try to stay out of it. I don't, my head doesn't, my, my musical head doesn't work such that I'm the right guy to come up with most of the backup vocals. And there are a couple of guys in the band who are superb at that. And I just let them do their thing. Uh, yeah, no, I think that uh, I, I can see that would probably, if I had any musical uh, talent or ability, that would probably be where I leaned towards is like, yeah, let's, let's kind of get a little bit more of a live feel where it's not, you know, just my, my unless you're doing like crazy, you know, like late sixties, you know, like Jim Morrison, like doubling his own voice in the background on different tracks. When you're going for like crazy sounds like that, that's different, but yeah, just generally speaking, it will probably have a more natural feel of the people in the band are the ones doing the, uh, the background vocals. You know, you, you referenced the, uh, the Christmas song, which we, uh, that was the last time we talked. Uh, it was Santa to bring my girlfriend back. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about some of the reaction you got to that song. And uh, you know, if, uh, if vaccine willing and uh, everything goes well and people are able to go and see live shows again in December, do you feel like it's going to have to find its way into the set list uh, by the end of the year? Uh, it would be in the set list for sure. I'd love to think that uh, for a lot of reasons that by next December, Manhattan will be broadly open and people can go out again and that uh, no new variant pops up 
you know, rears its ugly head at the last minute and forces everybody to shelter indoors again. Um, we got we got a lot of great feedback on the song. It uh, it made some some great podcasts. Uh, the Listrionics podcast on Spotify picked it as one of the five best new holiday songs of the year. Uh, right on Christmas Eve, Harper's Bazaar uh, put us on a list of 16 humorous Christmas songs that you should listen to in this dreadful year. And to see, I mean, we're pretty, we're pretty, we're pretty unknown. So to see sure. our name and that song alongside one of my all-time favorites, the Christmas, the Chipmunks Christmas song, and you're a mean one, one. Yeah. Hard to, you can't you can't top it. It's the all time yeah. greatest Christmas song. Uh, Adam Sandler's Hanukkah song was on there. Lady Gaga was on there. The Killers were on there. And then there were the High Plains Drifters. I'm sure everybody was wondering who the hell we were. But we made the list, so that was really cool. Yeah, you know the the last time that we talked when we did talk about that song, uh, I'm I'm sure that seeing you on the list probably riled up both Elmo and Patsy, who of course are known for Grandma Got Loved by Reindeer. If you kick them off the list, they're like, wait. Wait a minute. This is our time of year. This is all we've got. <laughs> That's all they've student? got. They've, they've, they've earned their place on that list. We're not looking to kick anybody <laughs> on the list. We're, we're happy just to join those lists. You know, they're like, doesn't have to be the only thing we've out. got. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. But uh, no, I mean, look, and obviously uh, getting, you know, but, you know, I mean, Harper's Bazaar, that's a, that's a, some great national attention but being one of the five best new holiday songs that's impressive because i think every holiday season there's i don't know i want to say let's just be conservative and say at least the hundred you know that actually like get played so yeah I, I mean yeah every when you look at what's out there you see that tons of major label artists are putting out their christmas songs every year and you're competing against them. You're competing against all the classics. And we somehow we managed to cut through the clutter of competing against whatever all the new songs were and, and made it onto some lists. So uh, we made it onto an Amazon uh, Christmas playlist, you know, alongside all the classics, uh, you know, Bing Crosby, Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, everybody. Um, that, that made Christmas for me to be able to see us sure. alongside all the classic Christmas carols that I grew up with. Well, I do. I do hope uh, there gets to be a, a live rendition for it at some point in 2021. And uh, yeah, I think that uh, it, it was definitely a fun song. So we have we have the the new song, obviously, that we're talking about it. The uh, since you've been gone, I had too many gone songs in my head and I'm like, wait, I almost yeah. I almost put the words in the wrong order. <laughs> but uh, yeah. since you've been gone. And uh, so there's a lyric video out there, which uh, what's the best way for people to find that? I, I mean, uh, I would just uh uh, go to YouTube, search for Since You've Been Gone, High Plains Drifters. It's there. They could also find it uh, if they searched on Flaunt Magazine, F-L-A-U-N-T. The actual premiere mm -hmm. of the lyrics video was last Thursday on Flaunt out of L.A. I, I want to thank them. That, again, sure. You know, giving an obscure band like ours that kind of attention was, was a big deal for us. Uh, so if they search by title and name of the band, they'll find it. Uh, you know, we're sort of talking about, you know, the 80s and influences, and uh, I wanted to bring up something that's in the notes for the band, because uh, I think that uh, it's it's sort of a great way to kind of sandwich your band in between two things. So it, it says that uh, it characterizes the High Plains Drifters as somewhere between the Eagles and New Order. And uh, that is a, a fairly wide chasm that there should be room for lots of other bands between them. But uh, is, is that something that, you know, some press person wrote up or did you or somebody in the band 
feel like these are these are bands that believe it or not are two of our strongest influences uh that was my phrase uh i coined it after listening to the single uh after i got a, another copy of it from our producer greg cohen i said you know i said you know greg it sounds like it sounds like a cross between the eagles and new order uh a lot of my approach to lyrics and melody is strongly influenced by the, the Eagles and the, the Southern rock and soft rock sounds of the seventies from when I was younger, but then came the eighties and, and those musical influences and uh, New Order was absolutely one of my favorite bands to listen to. In fact, New Order was the test song. I used uh, Bizarre Love Triangle to test the first real stereo system I ever bought in my life where they have the listen the old-fashioned listening rooms sure and they'd pair the where they'd pair the speakers with the amp with it and Bizarre Love Triangle was the test song for that and still one of my favorite songs to listen to I, I thought you were going to say that you used it to test friends or girlfriends or something it's like do you like this song no get out you know no, you know that that that's a good litmus test I mean there there are litmus <laughs> tests like that like ask someone who says they're fans of 80s music, ask them if they're a fan of the Style Council out of the UK. And a lot of people here draw blank, but um, you know, again, that that's like the kind of band that we take a lot of inspiration from. Paul Weller went from being you know, on the cutting edge of new wave and, and punk in the jam, and then this complete 180 into the Style Council with horns and strings and keyboards and completely different songs. And I, I just love artists who are versatile like that, who don't sound like someone else, the way Joe Jackson back in the 80s didn't sound like anybody else, right? Yeah. A lot of bands yeah. sounded alike. You know, the Ramones came, and then you briefly had the Romantics with What I Like About You, and sure. you know, the, the whole pop punk thing had its own life, and thank God gave birth to Green Day, who are still around. But it was the bands that, that, that did their own thing in the 80s that, for me, were the standouts, who didn't sound like everybody else. People like Bowie even back in the 80s. Yeah, well, I mean, the 80s Bowie doesn't even sound like 70s Bowie, you know? And I mean, I think right. that uh, when you have people who were able, you know, I mean, he was, look, those are, there are some great pop songs that uh, David Bowie is responsible for in the 80s, but it, it's not, and it's definitely, at no point did you go like, oh, he sold out chasing a trend, you know? I mean, like- No, not at all, right, you exactly. Know? Yeah, it's uh, I, I, I think uh, as, as much as I like emotional rescue, I feel like the Stones were definitely looking for something with that. I think it's a great song, but they were like, we need a disco song, you know, and I think with Bowie, you didn't always get that feel, you know, I mean. Yeah, but when you get to be when you're the Stones and you've had the kind of career they've had in their longevity, I think they're I think they're allowed to go. Let's do a disco song. You know, they're the oh yeah, songs. and and look if 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 it yeah. wasn't a great song, I think that uh, you know if if the Stones went into the studio to to cut a disco song and they came out with Rick D's Disco Duck, that might have been a problem. You know, I think it would have been like yeah. you know what maybe we don't need a disco song in here. But yeah, and it's uh, it's weird because they started. Uh, I, I saw them in concert. It's almost ten years ago now. Wow, uh, they put that back in the set list for the first time in like decades. So uh, obviously they have some affinity for it. But yeah, I think that uh, the the best thing about the 80s and that's why you know we're talking about the 80s is because your song really does evoke some of that feeling is that music just sat, was able to sound so different and look some of it was because of you know synthesizers and ways that you didn't have a horn section but you sure sounded like you did 
you know and you know i mean yeah. and you know like even your rock bands that added keyboard players you know because it was like well we need to we need to have you know some of that sound you know i mean if you think about bands that evolved from the 70s that yeah, were able to make it into the 90s i mean uh you know I, as as much as as i love early uh, makeup up kiss like the the late 80s uh mtv kiss it's a, like you listen to it i mean they had uh, they did an album called crazy nights that's uh produced by ron nevison who did the the heart record a couple years later and it's just you listen to it now and it's like oh yeah this is like how can we have something that sounds more like a bon jovi record you know and that yeah i think that would be an example of somebody chasing a trend but you can still get good music when you're doing that but i think just on the whole there was There's so much out there at that time you know yeah, but there's chasing a trend and then there's paying homage to a genre or a trend. So like some of those synth sounds in the 80s were pretty damn cheesy. And if you were to hear them today, you'd go, oh, there's that cheesy synth sound that Madonna used on whatever the heck song it was. You know? But some of them are still really cool. And and we're, we've got another half of the album to go. And there are a couple, I'm not going to name songs or bands, but there are a couple of specific sounds from back then that really captured me on the synth level that I think we're going to be working in to a few of the songs yet to come. Well, in terms of uh, what's yet to come, uh, you, you said you're what about halfway through with the, the we're, album? Half, Is we're halfway done. Yeah, we're halfway done. We have six more songs in various forms of being demoed to, you know, put the band in the studio and knock them out. So six down, six to go. Right. And uh, do you feel like this would be uh, something that that the point is to release in 2021? Is it a, as with everything is a little bit more wait and see, like, oh, when could we get out and do shows? No, so we'll, maybe I we think, I, if you're my age, you're going to release in 2021. You're, not, <laughs> you're, you're probably not going to take the chance of, of delaying. Um, That's fair. Yeah. We'll probably put out I think we'll put out what I think we might follow up since you've been gone with certainly one more single, maybe two, then We'll circle the wagons, knuckle down, and just finish pounding out the rest of the album and and get that out. I know that we could just endlessly release singles, but not every song necessarily deserves to be released as a single. And I think there are songs coming in the in that back half of the record that we need to see how they take life in the studio to see really, you know, what maybe what the third single should be. I think I know what this what the single after this should be, but what comes after that, I think there's probably going to be a delay before we get anything else out. And well, it'll probably be closer to when the whole whole record's done. Well, I'll be embarrassed if it's a cover of Emotional Rescue, because uh, then that's <laughs> on me for uh, disparaging the song. But uh, again, I did say I liked it. But uh, in terms of actually getting it out there and getting in the studio, uh, are is the band getting together in person in the studio? Is everybody sending their tracks separately? Is it a mix are and we- match of that? One of one of the things that we found as we as we wrapped up our debut album and the the band's lineup gelled, we had a our rhythm section got replaced halfway through album one, and as we got to the last two or three songs, uh, we, at the insistence of Greg Cohen, who produced the second half of that record, he said, "Let's get everybody in the studio." It's a pretty big studio. This is pre-COVID. No one's thinking, "Oh, big studio. We can be socially distanced," but. Uh, he was like, let's get everybody in here. They have all the isolation booths we need. Let's get everybody playing together on these last few songs and see what happens. And these are the guys in the band are superb musicians and having them in the same room together just elevated everything. It was noticeable immediately. And we had the same experience in August. We went in and we knocked out 
Santa, bring my girlfriend back. And since you've been gone in just a couple of hours, like in under four hours, we were, we had like five or six takes of each song and that was all we needed. And it's, it's been pretty consistently that way since. Um, so we, we have everyone there. Uh, everyone's masked when they have to be, but again, it's kaleidoscope sound in union city, pretty big space, lots of isolation booths. You know, everyone's pretty much everyone's able to play without a mask in an ISO booth if they need to. And that, that's what we've been doing. We haven't been bringing guys in individually one at a time at all. No, that's great that you're able to do it in a way where not only are you able to get the the live feel, but also everybody can feel safe about the, the way that you're doing it. You know, I mean, there's, I've talked to enough musicians uh, over the last few months that uh, there's, there's some schools of thoughts of, you know, just getting tested and everybody like, you know, holds up in a house and, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do it. But I think even if you're doing that, if you're then still isolated, I, I think that that seems like the best mix. And look, I think that it's not like you can't get good music if, if your band is scattered throughout the world and everybody's sending you the tracks. But I think that, uh, I know. I think that if you have a really keen ear for it, sometimes you might be able to uh, pick out the songs that maybe were done that way. You know what I mean? The, yeah, but, you you know, know, it just doesn't have the same feel. Yeah, th things happen when everyone's playing together in sync that don't happen when you have two or three guys record individually, slap that together, do a rough mix, then add a fourth guy, then add a fifth. It's just, we, we've done that. And, and we, we can, at least for us as a band, having everyone in the room at the same time uh, guys get ideas and, and they do something. And then the other guy does something, you know, like on the fourth, fifth take, whatever things evolve in a way that they're just not going to evolve. If you're sending tracks back and forth internationally or nationally over the internet. Yeah. I mean, and anybody who is, you know, if, if you're a big music nerd and you've actually like listened through demo sessions for albums that you like, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, you have bands like the 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 Beatles where like the demos get released just because you know it's been more than 50 years since they've had new music except for those couple songs that they did on those for those anthologies but you know what i mean it's like sometimes hearing like a demo version you're like oh my god that's so different and you're like i don't even know that it's better but i also like it that way and if if it's just somebody's in the their own studio it's like well you're not going to you're not going to catch that moment nobody's going to feed off of a moment that maybe goes a little differently so yeah i think uh i i think i and look i feel like you're going to get good music either way but uh you're going to probably get more to the soul of what you wanted uh if if you're able Absolutely. to sort of play against each other like yeah i enjoy listening to some of those old demos only because it's almost like it's almost like the acoustic version of the final song sometimes, sure. you know, and, and so that makes it interesting. And every now and then when you hear, you know, like um, when I'm listening to one of the satellite radio in the car, sometimes I get the uh, acoustic versions on uh, Sirius XM of some of the current bands that are out there. Oh and, yeah, sure. Uh, and some of those are, are phenomenal or, you know, sometimes they do them at the Sirius XM studios. They come in and play an acoustic set like MTV used to be when it was a music station. <laughs> I, yeah. If the, if the melody is strong enough, the song's going to work almost regardless, I think. Yeah. And I, I think that, uh, you know, when there was definitely that trend uh, in the early nineties, I mean, there were so, some of those uh, acoustic shows, you know, MTV unplugged, like some of those versions, you know, were, almost uh, uh, you know they're just different and you're like oh i just love hearing that and yeah i think getting to hear different arrangements and you know look sometimes you have 
bands that get a little bit more advanced in their career. So they, they start playing songs a little slower and stuff like that. But I think it can all be cool if, you know, if you're able to uh, actually get to hear the different takes. And there's something about demos though, where it's like, it's like, Oh, I'm not supposed to hear this. I mean, until they're like released officially, you know, it's almost like, and, and, and I, I don't know, a lot of times just like hearing the banter between the band, between songs like that, really makes you feel like you know you're part of it and you can kind of understand it's like well that's how that process led to this because they were talking between yeah. the songs you know uh, i mean th- th- that that's we've in this on this album even if we released the demos you probably wouldn't get that most of that back and forth talking and bannering is going on at greg cohen's studio on the upper west side of manhattan before we set foot in the big studio at kaleidoscope it's usually me and Greg and maybe one of the two guitarists working out the basic ideas. And a lot of the bannering is being done and not being recorded. And maybe I should pay more attention to that now that I'm listening to it. <laughs> well, because, because the songs can take in, songs can take entirely different directions just because someone goes, that guitar part's not working, try something else. And the right, next sure. thing that then the next thing that the guy plays is is brilliant. And you go, that's it. Yeah. Well, and, that, and that's the interesting thing about when you're talking about, you know, earlier decades where to keep the tape running was actually pretty expensive. Whereas now it's, well, just, just, it's all, just to be in the room. Yeah. Just, you could go bankrupt just being in the room for a day. It's crazy. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's crazy. So now, uh, now you have now, now every good producer has everything he needs at home. Yeah. So, well, yeah, especially, so, you know, especially, you know, bands that sort of self-produce because uh, you're just like, oh, there was that one thing that happened and I don't remember when it was and then you don't have it and it could be lost forever. Uh, before we go, there was one of the things I wanted. I don't think I asked you about this last time uh, when, it, it, again, reading the notes, it talked about the band getting together basically at a, over a, a dinner with, I think it said not enough food and too much booze at a Tex-Mex Tex-Mex restaurant in Manhattan. So I'm going to assume, obviously, it's a table of people who all, all knew each other. But is it as simple as it was not a band before you guys all got together to hang out? And it, then it was, by the was, end of dinner, that, you that, actually were a band? Uh, that's a true story. It was three of us. And I knew the other two guys. They didn't know each other. Okay. Uh, John Makem, uh, who's one of our two guitarists, backup vocalist, and has been lead vocalist at times. But before I learned to sing, John sang uh, two of the first four songs that we did on the f- debut album. The other two first two songs on that debut album were sung by Charles Zarnecki, who produced the first half of the album. I knew John. I knew Charles. They didn't know each other. I got them together at a Tex-Mex place in Chelsea. And we had a long sit down and talked about my desire to, I wasn't trying to form a band exactly so much as just get one, uh, one song out of my head. Uh, Obama was president. He was talking about bringing all our troops home from the Middle East. And I had this idea for a song in my head. It's our other Christmas song, which is leans a lot more country than the one you heard called, right. uh, get me home by Christmas Eve. And I said, I'd, you know, I'd like to get this song out there. It's topical, timely, blah, blah, blah. And they said, sure, let's do it. And I said to my wife, it's just one song. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to do anything crazy. And then I looked at her and I said, unless it gets on the radio, if it gets on the radio, I think we're going to make an album. And they were game for that. So that's, that's how it all started. It started with one song and got on the radio. And I said, let's keep going. Was there ever a conversation about naming the band after the Tex-Mex place or would it have been like, oh, well, ladies and gentlemen, Burritoville. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it, trying to name a band is one of the hardest things I've probably ever sure. had to do. Uh, 
trying to name anything. Yeah, well, I don't care if you're naming a consumer product, your company, your band. It, it, it's it's almost impossible. All the good names are taken. It seems. So no, I I don't think it. I don't think I ever thought that we should be named. I don't, I can't. I think I could find the restaurant again. Yeah. If it, assuming it's still up. So many things are closed. Well, they, that's but, true I, too. Yeah. Yeah, but I I know where it used to be. I'm not sure that it's still there. Um, but it no, I I never it's probably not a bad idea to think about restaurant names for band names. There's probably something there. Cross promotion, you know, that's <laughs> get a, yeah. get a, get a corporate I, sell out, right. I'm old anyway, sell yeah. out, get a corporate sponsorship, you know, you, you know, uh, Chipotle Mexican grill, <laughs> the band. I mean, look, if, if, if they want to, if they want to fund the tour, it's the least you can do is, uh, is, right. is put right. it on where their t-shirts. Yeah, put it on the but ad. You can't, yeah. but, you, but you can't do much more than that. You couldn't um, wear sombrero without being accused of cultural misappropriation. <laughs> well, yeah. See, now that's where you have to. Run, yeah, you have right. to run it. Right. You have to make sure you right. steer, steer clear of that stuff. Right. Uh, you were talking about your bandmate John Makeham, and I was sort of reading about. Uh, I guess he had a lot of music that was featured on uh, on TV. It specifically lists shows from the '90s, so it seems like he must have been very active because it says uh, Dawson's Creek, uh, Party yep. Five, and Felicity. So John's, it's basically. John is a- yeah, basically all of my uh, all of my wife's uh, favorite shows that uh, she was watching right. when she was in middle school. <laughs> yeah, John John had shows uh, on a lot of the so-called tweeny shows sure. in, in the '90s. Uh, he had put his first band together in high school under the name Binge, which I always loved. That's a great name. That's for a great Binge. name. Yeah, that's a great name. And uh, his most recent release was under his own name, John Makeham. I'd encourage everyone to go find it. Got a lot sure. of critical acclaim, but like the rest of us indie bands, didn't get any attention. Uh, it's called Unforeseen Circumstances. It's an absolutely beautiful, you know, classic singer-songwriter, guitar-based record. Um, but yeah, John, he, he's been recording for three or four times as long as I have. I mean, oh, you know, right. he started in high school. I was a chicken in high school. I didn't even tell anybody I could write music in high school. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, and I, yeah, I can certainly uh, relate to that. That makes sense. Well, Larry, it's always nice to get a chance to chat with you. And uh, I like to think that uh, we'll get a chance to uh, talk again this year when the album is out. Uh, high Plains Drifters, the new song, Since You've Been Gone, uh, can be found, uh, like we said, like with anything, it's like wherever it can be found, it almost doesn't matter because you just type it into Google and there it is for you. You know, it's everywhere. All the streaming services, YouTube, our website, High Plains Drifters, hyphenated, high hyphen planes, hyphen drifters dot com or youtube yeah amazon and, apple and blah blah if, blah if they're listening uh you might be willing to sneak a chipotle between one of those hyphens if uh, if the money's right no i'm just kidding <laughs> no that's right yeah we would never we would never do that never no. do. but you know if if they want you to if they want you to write a jingle for them then then the, you can talk you know i mean it's uh it's funny because uh, i've i've heard uh that like barry manilow early in his career wrote a lot of jingles and uh, you know that uh, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. He wrote, wrote that. that, yeah. And uh, so you know there there is an art to it, you know. And uh, Alan, sure, Thicke, when you, Alan when Thicke you wrote uh, a number. Who, sorry, what when was you that? talk to guys who've done it, when you talk to guys who've done it, they tell you it's not like writing a song at all. Yeah, <laughs> it's like they say it's a completely different process. You could be a great songwriter and a shitty jingle writer. I, I, I get that. You have like what fifteen seconds? Yeah, that's hard. 
Yeah, far. no, exactly. And and it's just the, to, to get the one that sticks with you. And uh, I, I was always impressed that, uh, you know, actor, talk show host, the late uh, Alan Thicke wrote a number of uh, TV theme songs like Facts of Life and uh, a few others. So it's uh, it's interesting what, you know, the things that people do when they're they're coming up. And I mean, look, Barry Manilow writing uh, song jingles is like, well, he's a songwriter. That that makes sense. But uh, sometimes it's interesting to see some of the hats that people wore along the way. Uh, anyway, Larry, uh, I hope that uh, we, maybe we'll both have some different different hats on the next time we talk uh high plains drifters is the band i recommend the song and uh before you know it it'll be christmas again and uh we'll be uh, celebrating with uh i, I don't want to put the the words in the wrong order santa santa uh, bring my girlfriend back bring my girlfriend, santa, back. Bring my girlfriend back bring my girlfriend back uh larry studnicki high plains drifters thanks so much for your time i always appreciate it thank you christian grateful to you for having us really really fun thank you <laughs> Since you've been gone I'm wiping tears from my eyes Since you've been gone I'm telling everyone lies Since you've been gone Since you've been long gone away Since you've been gone I pray for the Since you've 